Good Friday, eh? I, I just, I'm really blessed to have the opportunity to speak today. I think it's the, today and Sunday are the, the, the sort of apex of the Christian calendar through the year. It's all about what the events were, what Jesus went through, and what happened over the course of that Passover that, all that time ago. So we like a good superhero story, don't we? I mean, the, the, the popularity of a franchise like this is, uh, speaks for itself. We love a good superhero story. And I'm, I'm, I'm a sucker for them. You know, there's something about these stories where these people, there are these people who have somehow been chosen, right? They've got something special about them. They've got some power or something. You know, maybe they've been chosen by a radioactive spider, but, you know, but, but it is that... that that thing about how they've, and then they, they take that power and rather than using it for themselves, they, at great cost to themselves, they do something for other people. You know, and in the grandest of these stories, at great cost to themselves, they save the world. And I've been thinking about this and how popular and how deeply embedded this kind of story is in our psyche. And yet the greatest superhero story of all happened about this time about 2,000 years ago. And that's what I want to talk about today. So we're going to talk about a different kind of superhero. Sorry, I couldn't resist. (laughs) So I'm going to go through a whole bunch of different scriptures, but I'm I'm going to start with Mark 10. And I'm just going to tell the story as it went through. And we'll see where we get to. So I, I really have come to love the Gospel of Mark. And one of the things I really like about it is that it's very blunt, to, without putting too fine a point on it. It just goes through the story and it, and it paints these things in very stark relief. Uh, it, it, he doesn't mince words, does Mark. So we start at the story, right? This, this boy is born and... He, he comes and he, and, he, and he grows up and he goes to school. He goes to the synagogue to be taught about the scriptures. Uh, if the traditions of the time are something to go by, the fact that he apprenticed to his father as a carpenter means he basically dropped out of school at about 10 or 11. And he went off to apprentice to his father and he became a carpenter. And he worked as a carpenter for, I don't know, maybe 20 odd years, I think. And then he laid down his tools and he started teaching. And he started teaching this incredible message. And in Mark 1, 14, he says his gospel was uh, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Or the kingdom of heaven has come near, repent and believe the good news. And so he, and he went around and, and he started talking and teaching people. And as he was talking and teaching people, it became increasingly clear that he was, al- he was aligning himself with a particular idea that was really big in Jewish thought at the time. The idea that there was a Messiah, right? So a Messiah means anointed one or chosen one, God's chosen one. And in the, in the Jewish scriptures, in the prophets, in the stories, there's this, this thing that, that, that go, runs right throughout the story about this chosen one who's going to come. And the chosen one will come and will throw out the pagans 
who have taken over the rulership of the country and, and will restore the kingdom of Israel. And in some of the stories, that it goes even further than that, that this chosen one will come and restore the kingdom of Israel over the world and all the empires will be cast down. And Jesus starts talking like he's this person and starts acting like he's this person. So he goes out and he does all this stuff. And in the Gospels, there's all these stories about how he'll go out and teach and he'll do things like cast demons out of people. And people are going, oh, wow, okay. And then he'll uh, heal the blind. And then he, he, he feeds 5,000 men, probably about 10,000 people maybe, with a basket of loaves, five loaves of fishes, I think, five loaves and a couple of fishes. So he multiplies this stuff. And then his disciples see him walking on water. And they see him calm a storm. So they see this guy do all these incredible things. And this Messiah was supposed, it was prophesied that the Messiah would be able to heal the blind and would have command over nature and these kinds of things. And so, and he's teaching and he's talking and he's doing these deeds. And he calls people to himself. So he has people who start to follow him and he calls these 12 men, the disciples, to follow him, to be like his lieutenants. And then there's a bunch of other people that follow him as well. And so we get to Mark 10, and we have this thing, this wonderful little passage of scripture here. They were on their way up to Jerusalem with Jesus leading the way, and the disciples were astonished, while those who followed were afraid. Again, he took the twelve aside and told them what was going to happen. We are going up to Jerusalem, he said, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and hand him over to the Gentiles, who will mock him and spit on him, flog him and kill him. Three days later, he will rise. Now, I think we need to just uh, think about what kind of Messiah the disciples and his followers were expecting. Sorry, this is, this is intentionally a little bit provocative, right? But, but they were expecting a political Jesus. They really were. They were expecting a revolutionary leader who was going to lead a rebellion and throw the Romans out. That was the, the dominant meme of the time. So I just picked another meme. Sorry. Um, but the, this idea that he was this political ruler who was going to come and, and literally lead an army into Jerusalem. So you go back. The disciples were astonished and those who followed were afraid. Why is that? Well, so in... Later in the Bible, in the book of Acts, it says there's about 120 people who believe in Jesus and followers of Jesus gathered together. So if we think he's done all this time, he's spent all this time wandering around, he's fed lots of people, he's done lots of miracles, people have been amazed at what he does. But the people who are following him, his army, as it were, are 12, 12 disciples, however many, I can't put up that many fingers, um, and maybe 120 men and women, pretty much all of whom are nobodies, tax collectors, fishermen, uh, a few rebellious zealots, uh, maybe some prostitutes, maybe some uh, just randos, right? just people. You know, just, he, he, he just spent his time in the pastoral, the rural backwaters of Israel, gathering these followers. So here he is. 
heading up to Jerusalem. He sets his face to Jerusalem, right? His 12 disciples, his lieutenants and his army, and his, and his 120 people, his army, going up to Jerusalem to fight the Romans. That's what they would have been thinking. They'd be going, oh, yeah, well, this is time. He's come. He's going he's gonna to throw out the Romans. With us? They know there's a legion up there, right? There's the, you know, Pilate as the governor, and there's, there's soldiers with armor and swords and pelum and, and shields, and, and these people, um, yeah. So, so you can see why they were astonished and perhaps afraid. But at the same time, you can imagine their hope because they had seen him calm a storm. Now, someone who can calm a storm can deal with an army, right? Sure, no worries. And someone who can feed a whole lot of people from a basket of loaves and fishes, maybe he can make a whole lot of swords from a, ba- from a basket of swords or something. I don't know. I mean, who knows what they were thinking, but they were, they were likely thinking that he's, you know, he's going to do this. We'll go there. And, and in fact, immediately after he said he's going to get handed over to the Gentiles, the disciples are arguing about who's going to be top dog. Oh, yeah, I'm going to be the treasurer in your new kingdom. I want to be the minister of secret police. Right? Whatever. They're having this debate about who's going to be top dog. And so, so they go up, and, and Marilyn shared with us uh, last week, and in the video we saw that as, as he comes into Jerusalem, he's welcomed as a king. Now, there's a really, he comes on a donkey, right? And, and he, he rides in on a donkey, and, he's, and they, they, the people, a crowd comes out of the city, and they put down. They wave palm fronds, as we saw, and, and put down their cloaks, and they welcome him, saying, Hosanna, welcome, welcome to the king. Now, in, this, in, in ancient times, if a, if a king came on a horse, he was coming as a conqueror. If he came on a donkey, he was coming in peace. And this also fulfilled scripture, where it says the king will come on a donkey. And it was, it was definitely the done thing at the time, to go out to meet the king and bring them back into the city. So that's what's happening here. They are greeting the king and bringing him into the city. So the people who do that are all aware of what they're doing. The people who are watching that are all aware of what they're doing, including Jesus' enemies, who's going, they're going, oh, they're welcoming, welcoming him as king. So he goes, he goes up to the, the temple and he does a whole lot of teaching. And he talks about the, this kingdom of God and he talks about what it means and what, what, the, what it means for Israel and what it means for the world. And he talks about this new reign, rule and reign, that is being established. He talks about the tearing down of the temple. You know, they say, he says, tear down this temple and I will raise it up again in three days. And he's actually speaking about himself then, but he also prophesies the destruction of the temple, which happened about 40 years later. And so... This Jesus comes in and, and crowds are amazed. And this is just before Passover, the key, one of the key festivals in the Jewish calendar. And, and so there's people that have come from all over Israel and from all over the Mediterranean, Gentiles who uh, also worship God as well as Jews from the, the diaspora, from the, from the wider Jewish um, communities around the world. And so there's all these people there. And I can just, I can just see it, right? Jesus goes up. And he's there, and he goes into the into the uh, temple, and he's teaching. And people are trying to trick him with questions. They're trying to trying to make him look like an idiot, and they're trying to make him look like he's somehow wrong in front of everybody. But he just he's he's very you know he just sees what they're doing, and he just 
he, he just moves past it. But he's very critical of the leaders, the religious leaders of the time. He calls them whitewashed tombs, right? Nice on the outside and dead on the inside. It's a pretty bleak description. And so he, he sets himself up in contest with the religious leaders of the day. This guy with this ragtag bunch of followers. And you can see the crowds. You can see his followers all going, yeah, yeah, go on, take them on. And you can, I can almost picture the crowds going, yeah, fight, 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 fight. <laughs> um, you know, that, that, that sense of the drama of what's going on. And then, as we saw in the video, he, he has a, a final meal with his uh, closest lieutenants, right, the disciples. And he, he, this Passover meal harkens back to the time in Egypt when the angel of death, so there are all these plagues in Egypt, and the angel of death was going to come and kill all the firstborn. And the way the Israelites could avoid this was by sacrificing a lamb and putting its blood over the lintel of the door. And then the angel of death would pass over them. And so he's having this Passover meal and he takes the bread and he breaks it and goes, this is my body broken for you. And then he takes the wine and he blesses it and goes, this is, this is my blood shed for you for the new covenant. And I can see the disciples going, what? What do you, what do you mean? Because it, 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 he's aligning himself with that Passover lamb. And way back at the beginning of his ministry, John the Baptist saw him and told some of his disciples, there goes the lamb who takes away, takes away the sin of the world. So there's been this story that's been building. But the Gospel of Mark and the other Gospels all really paint this picture of the disciples not quite getting it. They're still expecting this guy. And then, as we heard, Jesus goes and, and tells the high priests where Sorry, not Jesus. Judas goes and tells the high priests where Jesus is. And he does this at night time because the, the high priests are worried about the crowds, right? If they, if they take him prisoner, and if they, if they take him and arrest him in, in the crowds, the crowds might riot. And then that will get the Romans involved and it will all be bad. So they come to him at night time and they take him away and the disciples scatter. Right? His followers, his ragtag bunch army, well, one of them chops off an ear of somebody and Jesus tells them off. And then they scatter, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so, and he's taken. And he's then taken and he is taken before the council of the priests who accuse him of blasphemy, which the crime, the, the, the penalty for this crime is death. But as it said, they didn't have the power to execute that sentence, so they took him to Pilate, who's the Roman governor, and, and Pilate, they, they convince uh, Pilate to release a, a murderer rather than release Jesus and to, and to have Jesus flogged and crucified. Right? So Jesus is taken off. His, Pilate washes his hands of it. A great voice, by the way, that, that, that uh, you know, I'm, I'm not going to try. <laughs> I don't think I could imitate it, but it was very cool. I washed my hands of this. But, but the, 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 and then he's handed over to the soldiers who, who flog him, right? They flog him with a whip. Uh, leather whip that has usually has uh, bits of bone and metal in it so that it tears flesh more readily and they flog him he's flogged like 39 times and there's, there's often people just die from the flogging and then he's beaten and they put a crown of thorn on his heads and they beat him with a rod and and I think in one of them it talks about them pulling a bit of his beard out which just oh my goodness and then he 
he's forced to carry his cross through this crowd of people raging for his blood, right? Spitting on him, mocking him as he goes. And he, he, he can't carry it because he's so weak from the beating and the flogging he's already had. So they get someone else to carry it for him. He's taken out to a place called Golgotha, place of the skull. Where they, and they, he's, he's, they put nails through his hands, through, probably through his wrists actually, and through his feet. And they nail him to a tree, right? They nail him to a cross. And crucifixion is awful. It's an awful way to die. Because what happens is you're, the, if the, the, the nail goes through and it hits the major nerves, right? And so there's all this pain. But you're not going to bleed to death from that. But what happens is that you, as you're hanging there, your, your liquids pull in your chest cavity and it becomes harder and harder to breathe. And so you have this awful thing where, it starts, where you hang down to take the weight off your arms and the liquid's pulling in here and it becomes hard to breathe. And so in order to breathe, you have to push up against the nails in your feet so that you can kind of stretch up and take a breath. And then you kind of collapse back down again. And all the while, the flogged back is rubbing up and down against the, the thing that you were nailed to. This is more the kind of picture. And it would often take people two a day, 24 hours or more, to die because they basically suffocate to death. And so I want to step back from, from this and the disciples, right? So Jesus is going through this. The disciples, this must have been the death of hope for them. They had left their families. They left their friends. They left their livelihoods. They left their towns. They left everything behind to follow this guy. To follow this guy who did such amazing things. I, I'm, I'm trying to get into their head. Imagine when you're seeing someone who had calmed a storm and cast out demons being led away to slaughter, like a lamb to slaughter. It must have just been crushing for them because they don't know the end of the story. But if you remember, Jesus does, right? He said all this was going to happen. And I can see them. You know, you know that way that you remember the things that seem relevant at the time? You go back to Mark 10, and I can see them going, oh, they said he would be condemned by the, by the, the chief priests and he'd be handed over to the Gentiles and they were going to mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. It's all happening. And I think they fled, right? They, they had this, this reaction to it. Because you know what? If, if you're the, the empire, you're the powers that be, rebellion, not a good thing. You don't want it, right? You cut off the head. But you don't stop there, do you? If you really want to squash the rebellion, you go after everyone else. You go after the lieutenants and the disciples, right? So, so there's Peter, right? So at, at, that, at that supper, Jesus prophesied or said that he would be betrayed. And he also said that Peter would deny him. Peter's standing out the front of the high priest's house when all this is going on. And people, hey, hey, aren't you one of those guys? Aren't you one of the rebels? Right? That's what they're asking him. And he goes, oh, no, 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 that's not me. Oh, but you sound like it. They all came from Galilee. You sound like it. He's like, oh, no, 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 that's not me. And he, he denies Jesus three times. And then he realizes that that word that Jesus had spoken had come true. 
You know, the one person who I think got it and didn't think that Jesus was a political Messiah was Judas. I don't think he knew what Jesus was, but I think he knew that Jesus wasn't who he expected to be. And this is just my supposition. I think that's part of the reason he betrayed him, because he's like, this is not good. He's going to get all these people slaughtered. We need to deal with this. And then he realized he condemned an innocent man to death, and he killed himself. And, and we see in, in one of the other Gospels, after Jesus has died, some of the disciples on, on, on a road to another town called Emmaus, leaving town. I would leave town too if I thought the Romans were going to come after me next. Right? So they're scattered. And, and, and I, can, I can't imagine how crushed they must feel. And how hopeless they must feel. But the thing about this story is that Jesus, as he walks through this story, walks through this story with a much greater hope. Why? Why would he do this? Why would someone do this, right? Live a normal life, become this person, do this teaching, do all these incredible deeds, and then let himself be taken like a lamb to the slaughter. If you have a Bible with you, you can turn with me to Philippians chapter 2. So this is from Paul's letter to the church in Philippi, a Roman colony where a Christian church was growing. And he talks about how they should be humble like Jesus was humble. And so he says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Jesus, as Christ Jesus, who in being very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and at the tongue every and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So Jesus was walking out this story. He had he had come, he's God, right? Stepped across into eternity, infinity. And come into the world and taken on the form of man, take, become, a, become a person, right? He's fully God and fully man. Walked through this life, done these things, right? Um, been trained. I, I mean, I, he's the word of God, right? And I, just, I have this funny thing in my head about him going to school and being taught about scripture. Um, but he, and he walks through this life and, and then he, he, become, he, he starts this ministry, starts preaching, starts teaching, starts healing and and doing all these incredible things. And then he goes, and it, it, as he's getting to sort of this place where he's at the kind of the height of his power, he, hand, he is handed over to death. Now, what Jesus knew about the Messiah was the Messiah's job was not to conquer the Romans, because there would always be another set of Romans. There were the Greeks beforehand. The Egyptians, right? There were there, there would be others. There have been others throughout history. The Messiah's job is not to deal with human empire. The Messiah's job is to deal with the empire of sin and death. So, 
back at the beginning, you remember in the video, they had the beginning where it was all made and the blue card and, you know, we're, we're, we're together and then there's, we're separate because the first people rebelled against God. They rebelled against the eternal creator and wanted to put themselves in that place to be like him and to be the rulers, right? So we were made to be co-creators, image bearers of God. We were made to be in relationship with him and to build on his world and in inside the boundaries that he'd given us. And they went, no, we don't want those boundaries. We want to do it for ourselves. And so that, what that did was it brought sin and death into the world through the, obedient, through the disobedience of Adam. Sin and death were brought into the world, the first man. And so Jesus is the perfect human. And he's also perfectly obedient to his father, to God. And so we see in the, in the Gospel of Matthew, they had, they, the, the kids showed it up there, right? He went out to the garden to pray. And he said, I'm not going to quote it, but he basically said, you know, if, really, if I don't have to, I'd like not to do this. Because he knew what was coming. He did not look forward to what was coming. But he did look forward to the results of what was coming, to what he knew was going to happen. And he said, look, if, if, if I don't have to, please don't make me drink this cup, but I'll do what you want me to do. And then he, his, he, he goes with his disciples and he says, look, please watch over me while I pray and they fall asleep. And then he goes and says, can't you even stay awake while I'm going through this? And then, and then he goes back and prays more. And as he says, as it says here, not my will, but thy will be done. That's what he said. He was perfectly obedient. And through his obedience, walking to that cross, if you think he, he takes on the power of sin and death. If you think about empires, right, the power the tyrant has over you is taking your life away. That's the, that, that's the final power they have. right? They can... They, can, they, they will take things away and take things away and take things away until the last thing they can take away is your life. That's the, the, that's the power of empire, right? And, and we have, while we don't necessarily in our culture live in the kind of tyranny that we're seeing in Myanmar or in places like, you know, it, uh, that, that we, we do live under the power of empire, empires of the mind, right? Empires of of capitalism, of, of pornography, of, uh, of um, postmodernism, and, and, and all these things that, that, that actually take away our thoughts. They try and control how we think. You know, one of, the, one of the most insidious things that's going on right now is people trying to tell you how to talk and think. You can't say that. You can't think like that. All of it. Right? All, but that's, the, that's the, the empire of sin, right? The empire, these things. And so Jesus knew that actually to save people, someone had to take on the great evil. Not the little evils, although you're not going to say that what's going on in the world is little evil, but compared to the power of sin and death, they are little evils compared to the ultimate power that, 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 and the ultimate curse that came in. And when Adam was... Uh, disobedient, not just people uh, were uh, laboured under the result of that disobedience, but the world itself was cursed. And so Jesus is coming to save the world at great 
personal sacrifice. The greatest. He did not just get physically tortured, right? That, that picture is awful. But he took on all of the sin of the world for all of history. Not just the time he died, the whole thing. Everything that had happened before and everything that happened that after. Everything that you have done, any, any sinful thought, any lustful, prideful, you know, uh, angry thought or deed that you have done, he took those things and they were nailed to the cross with him. That is why we can sing about a wondrous torture device, right? When I survey the wondrous cross, right? It's a torture device. But it is a wonderful thing because what it was turned into by his sacrifice. It made a way for us to be cleansed of that sin and to be brought back into a relationship with the Heavenly Father who made us and, and wants to partner with us in the redemption of the world, wants us to partner with him in the redemption of the world. He did it to defeat the empire of sin and death. Which means that if he stayed dead, it wouldn't have worked. Right? You, you don't overcome but you don't overcome death. By dying, right? So I want to leave you with that thought because we're going to talk about that on Sunday. <laughs> and I'm going to totally plagiarise. I just love this and, and I think it's a really good thought to close on. Um, but before I do, there are a couple of things that... So when Nick was um, leading the worship, he talked about the curtain. So... And, and in the Jewish temple, right, there's a place called the Holy of Holies, and surrounding that, there's this big curtain that goes all the way up to the roof. And when Jesus died, it was torn from top to bottom, and that creates a way for us, you know, it's a symbolic of a, the way that we can enter into the Holy of Holies, and we can enter into a relationship with God. And in our prayer at the start, Andrea had a word about how um, there may be some of us who... who want to or need to have the, the curtain around our heart torn so that we can have that relationship with God. There may be things that we're carrying uh, or things that, we, um, things that we are worried about taking to God because somehow we're ashamed of them. So um, afterwards, uh, if you'd like prayer for that, then please let us know and we'll, we'll stand with you in prayer or you can um, pray for, before the cross. The other one is that uh, on the cross in John's Gospel, he cries out, it is finished. And the word there is a Greek word, tetelestai, which means it's the kind of thing that a, a, a person who was running a race and had just won a race would cry out. It's actually a cry of victory. It is finished. I did it. And it's a cry of triumph. And so, uh, and there's these prophecies in, in the Old Testament that talk about by his stripes or by his wounds we are healed. So it is finished. He has conquered the power of sin and death. And he has healing power that, that, that we can have access to. That, that kingdom that he talked about that has come near has the power to heal us emotionally and physically, mentally. So if you'd like prayer for healing, uh, then let's stand in his victory and, and pray together. So before that, I'm going to shamelessly plagiarise from S.M. Lockridge, who's the pastor of Calvary Baptist Church in San Diego. And I'm not going to read this anywhere nearly as well as he does, but you can go and look it up online and hear him, hear him saying it. It's a poem about 
Easter, Good Friday. It's Friday. Jesus is praying. Peter's a-sleeping. Judas is betraying. But Sunday's coming. It's Friday. Pilate is struggling. The council's conspiring. The crowd vilifying. They don't even know that Sunday is coming. It's Friday. The disciples are running like sheep without a shepherd. Mary's crying. Peter denying. But they don't know that Sunday's coming. It's Friday. The Romans beat my Jesus. They robe him in scarlet. They crown him with thorns, but they don't know that Sunday's coming. It's Friday. See Jesus walking to Calvary, his blood dripping, his body stumbling, his spirits burdened. But you see, it's only Friday. Sunday's coming. It's Friday. The world is winning, people are sinning, and evil's grinning. It's Friday. The soldiers nail my Saviour's hands to the cross. They nail my Saviour's feet to the cross. And then they raise him up next to criminals. It's Friday. But let me tell you something. Sunday's coming. It's Friday. The disciples are questioning what has happened to their king. The Pharisees are celebrating that their scheming has been achieved, but they don't know. It's only Friday. And Sunday's coming. It's Friday. He's hanging on the cross, feeling forsaken by his father, left alone and dying. Can nobody save him? Oh, it's Friday. But Sunday's coming. It's Friday. The earth trembles. The sky grows dark. And my king yields his spirit. It's Friday. Hope is lost. Death has won. Sin has conquered and Satan's just a laughing. It's Friday. Jesus is buried. A soldier stands guard and a rock is rolled into place. But it's Friday. It's only Friday and Sundays are coming. Yeah, it's good.